Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Aha. Let's see what the buzz is. Okay, I found a quote from Sloan Review. That's MIT.edu. Let's see what they have to say. Quote, in the coming years, the most intelligent organizations will need to blend technology-enabled insights with a sophisticated understanding of human judgment, reasoning, and choice. So if we pull that apart, we've got some key words in there, blending tech-enabled insights. I like that. Sophisticated understanding. Well, that may be quite a stretch thinking of organizations and sophisticated, not always. Human judgment, reasoning, and choice. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the intelligent organization, the intelligent enterprise. Title of today's episode is, So You Want to Be an Intelligent Enterprise? The facts versus the myths, the paths, and the pitfalls you will want to avoid along the way. So on a whim, I looked up the word intelligent just to see what we're really talking about. And I have some synonyms that we can discuss with my panelists in just a minute when I introduce them. How about this? Intelligent synonyms include clever, brilliant, quick-witted, smart, canny, astute, intuitive, there's a human word, insightful, perceptive, one of my favorites, perspicacious, excuse me, discerning, knowledgeable, gifted, brainy, rational, able to vary in response to varying situations, requirements, and past experiences. Okay, so now what are we talking about here today? Record corporate profits and new business models over the last nine years. Well, if you look at them, they're typically tied to technology-driven innovation. Come on, we're in the digital age. Do a reality check. If you look at the S&P 500, the list changes almost every two weeks. I know, I know. Intelligent enterprises are rising to the top, and those that don't embrace digital technology are accelerating their tumble rate. I never heard of a tumble rate, but apparently there is one. So talking to our global audience, if your company is not quote-unquote intelligent yet, and I'm not insulting anybody, but we're talking about the intelligent enterprise, and we'll define it. Stay tuned. I have two experts on the panel today. They're going to help you figure out how to get there and strategies to avoid those bumps along the way, or at least to mitigate them. So welcome, welcome, and let's see who our panelists are today. Uh, In a moment, I'll be introducing you to Andy Steer, and his last name is S-T-E-E-R, just like it sounds. He's the UK CTO for the Intelligence Group. We've had some of his colleagues on the show before, and welcoming back one of our favorite futurists, innovation evangelists. He's Timo Elliott, Vice President and Global Innovation Evangelist for SAP. Very busy guy, and I was telling Timo before the show started, I'm always amazed when we can actually grab him for 60 minutes for radio. So welcome to Andy and Timo. Andy has sent us a quote from Bill Nicholson. I didn't know who that was. William Edward Nicholson, OBE, lived from 1919 to 2004. English football player, coach, manager, and scout who had a 36-year association with the Tottenham Hotspur, whatever that means, one of the most important figures in the club's history, winning eight major trophies in his 16-year managerial spell. That's what it's called. Here's the quote. It is better to fail aiming high 
than to succeed aiming low. And the quote continues, And we of the Spurs have set our sights very high, so high, in fact, that even failure will have in it an echo of glory. What a beautiful quote. Andy Steer, how are you? I'm good, Bonnie. How are you? I'm very well. So happy to have you. And we don't usually get sports quotes that are not U.S. related, so I'm very happy to expand my my very slim knowledge of, uh, of sports around the world, and I appreciate that. Andy, t- tell us, how did you pick this quote, better to fail aiming high than to succeed aiming low? Is this a mantra for today's intelligent enterprises? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a good question, Bonnie. I, I'll be honest with you. you. You mentioned on the intro there who who Bill Nicholson was, and he was he was the most successful manager of the team that I support, which is Tottenham Hotspur, as you as you mentioned there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what really appeals to me about this quote is he was renowned as an exceptional man manager, and I I think that comes through in that quote. It's a very motivational quote. I I love the idea. Of, of setting your sights high. You know, we hear people talk about the so-called moonshots, you know, that mm-hmm. we should dream big. And the, the the point about failure having an echo of glory, that to me seems similar to the type of uh, sayings that we hear coming out of Silicon Valley that we often hear about fail fast, you know, try things and, uh, and learn from them and move on. So I think that, that this mantra of, of aiming big and trying big things and, and even bringing something out from the failures and learning from them, I think really, really carries through into this idea of the intelligent enterprise and the things that we're doing. So, so learning from those echoes of, uh, of glory is, is something that I think is, uh, is a key thing. And interestingly, the final point, there's actually some debate about whether he actually said the words or not, uh, or ah. whether they were falsely attributed to him. Yeah, some people. He was quite a he was quite a dour northerner from from England, and uh, a lot of people think it was possibly more likely that his slightly more literate and erudite captain who played for him, the chap called Benny Blanchflower. There's some debate about whether he actually said the quote rather than Bill Nick, but it's always been attributed to him. And uh, and I love the quote anyway, whoever it came from. Thank you, Andy. That's very interesting. I typically research the quotes, and I have to break the news to guests many times on Game Changers Radio. No, not exactly. And uh, I, I have a show coming up about an hour after this one where there's a quote a guest submitted for the opening, and there were three different attributions that are all equally debatable and <laughs> equally credible at the same time. So I didn't look this one up. I just looked up Bill Nick. Uh, yeah, Bill Nicholson. Bill Nick, as you mentioned, and. And that's the one I found. So thank you for, for validating the possible non-validation. A question for you, Andy, before I bring on Timo. I'm curious. We talked about the inspiration that Bill Nick gave to his, his managerial spell, as they call it, uh, guiding the team. Does an intelligent enterprise need a person at the helm who embraces, who epitomizes, who is that sports coach, if you will, who says, we will be an intelligent enterprise. We will be fully digital. We will be able to pivot and turn and embrace innovation on a dime if we need to. Do you need that one person somewhere at the head of the com- company to make it happen? I think, you need, I think you need the vision and you need somebody who encapsulates and stands for that vision, but as I'm sure we will, we will talk about at some length, 
you know, along with this comes change. And as, as much as we would like to think it, one person generally can't completely drive the change through. They may be able to start it and be the spark that, that mm-hmm. lights the fire, but it needs a lot of people. And I'm, I'm sure that's a topic we'll come on and talk about. Thank you very much, Andy. Pleasure to meet you, and and we'll talk to you in a couple of minutes. Simo Elliott waiting so patiently, global innovation evangelist. I dropped the word innovation in there somewhere a couple of times, Timo. Timo has sent us a wonderful quote from, I I know this one is a real quote. I know who it is, so I didn't really have to check, but it's Oscar Fingal O'Flaherty Wills Wild, known to most of us simply as Oscar Wilde with an E on the end of Wild. 1854 to 1900, Irish poet and playwright. He wrote the novel. Novel, the Picture of Dorian Gray. Uh, he wrote Salome in 1891. He wrote The Importance of Being Earnest in 1895 and The Marquess of Queensberry, uh, about the Marquess of Queensberry. And his last work was The Ballad of Reading or Reading Jail, G-A-O-L, in 1898. Quite a story, gentlemen. And here's the quote. I love this quote, Timo. Experience is simply the name we give our mistakes. Timo Elliott, tell me how you are. I'm great, Bonnie. Thank you very much for asking. Well, thank you for being with us. I love the quote, and and after you explain how the quote relates to our topic of the intelligent enterprise, let's reference back to some of the things I was discussing with Andy. So talk to me about the quote first. So I like this quote on a few levels. First, I was lucky enough to visit Oscar Wilde's birthplace just a few weeks ago in Dublin, and they have a beautiful memorial covered with some of his pithy Uh, phrases. And I have to say, I would have loved to see Oscar Wilde on Twitter. He would have been fantastic. (laughs) Touche. Very, very, very well put. Yes, it would have been amazing. So so our Uh, mistakes. And I like like the quote in particular because uh, it follows on from Andy's uh, point about um, failures are important. Nobody gets born smart. Everybody has to become intelligent over time. And how do they do that? By making mistakes and learning from them. So this notion of intelligence or the intelligent enterprise isn't an end point. It's, it's a journey. It's a process. And what makes the difference between uh, intelligent and the non-intelligent isn't what they're born with, but it's what they do with their mistakes, their experience. So this notion of um, intelligent enterprise being a process that one can improve over time rather than a destination, I think, is the, the, the key thing that attracted me to this particular quote. Thank you. T- Timo, very interesting. Uh, Andy was referencing what, what we used to say, uh, or we still say, um, fail fast, fail often. We talk about that in design thinking. I know you're familiar with that concept. Used to be, back in the day when I was coming up through the corporate world, you shuddered when you made a mistake, didn't you? You said, OMG, what did I do? How can I apologize? How can we fix it? It was not a, well, you know, that's called experience. We didn't have the quote-unquote luxury of a quote that goes back to Oscar Wilde, who, who passed away in 19. 19- my goodness, we, we weren't looking at it that way. But my question to you, Timo, is what I asked Andy a moment ago. Does an intelligent enterprise need a leader, someone at the top who embodies that cultural change, that sea change, if you will, of how we're going to do things smarter going forward? What's your thought? Well, that's a great question because I think it addresses one of the biggest problems that I see in real life in organizations. If you do have a visionary leader who believes in innovation and improvement through failure, then obviously that's fantastic. 
But the reality is that most organizations just aren't built that way. And so I often talk to people who are change leaders. They, they see the future. They want to help their organization get to that future. But they have to work with the rest of the organization to actually make that happen. And that means changing the way other people work. And that's without a doubt one of the biggest challenges that, uh, that people face inside organizations. So it's great to have a visionary leader. But at the end of the day, every organization needs lots of hard work of change management, making sure that the rest of the organization has an incentive to move to that intelligent enterprise future. Thank you. And, and Timo, let me ask you, and then I'll go around and ask Andy. When we talk about the intelligent enterprise, and I mentioned in my opening, I got some statistics here from Brad Borkin at SAP, who's the sponsor of this series. And we talked about the S&P 500, the list changes every two weeks as intelligent enterprises rise up, cream rises to the top, la creme de la creme, if you will. And then the losers, quote unquote, laggards, I don't know how to say that without insulting anybody, drop at what we call an accelerated tumble rate. Is this a question of, I'm an intelligent enterprise, and you're not. Is it going to be a dividing line like in camp when you did or didn't get picked for the tennis team or the soccer team? Timo, is, there go- is it going to be that seriously an identity crisis for companies that are deemed intelligent versus not? Talk to me. I think as the world moves faster, we're going to see these trends accelerate of companies rising and then falling. But I actually trained as an economist, and I'll take a contrarian view, is that uh, companies getting smaller is not intrinsically a bad thing. If it's managed right and it's still profitable, then that makes a lot of sense. What doesn't make sense is large organizations desperately trying to shore up their previous business only to explode spectacularly much better for a company to be intelligent about realizing that the existing market they're in is vanishing and managing their decline effectively while working on a division to take over the next big market. So companies rising and falling on things like the um, SP 500 Mm -hmm. isn't a bad thing if it doesn't catch people by surprise. Um, Uh It's hubris to think that every organization can only ever get bigger. That's self-obviously crazy. Crazy, and it's a model that has proven to be uh, an Achilles heel for a lot of companies, I think, over the years. Yes, the question is, you're right, getting getting back up, dusting yourself off, saying, well, that was chalked up to our experience, not our mistakes, and rising again. Andy, what are your thoughts about that, what Timo just shared? So I, I, I agree with what Timo says uh, on, on all the areas there, and I, I've also got a maybe an additional piece that I would add, which is if you... If you think about it from the, the perspective of the, the customer, I, I think the customers of organizations will pretty quickly be able to tell the difference because mm. the intelligent enterprises, you know, they're going to be coming to market with, with products that are delivering on my new demands. So, you know, if I'm out in the world and I'm an intelligent consumer and I'm adopting the technology I see in front of me, whether it be my smartphone, whatever it happens to be, my connected home, you know, I'm going to naturally be drawn to organizations that are delivering services that align with, with those things that I use in my life. And my view, and we'll get into the detail, but my view is that the intelligent enterprises are going to innovate in those products and services they offer, and naturally the market will, will gravitate to them. So, so the outcome is exactly the same as, as 
you were saying, some of those organisations will be less successful um, and it will be obvious to the consumers which are the ones that are intelligent because they'll be offering them the services that they desire. Thank you very much. Interesting the way you brought the the concept of customer in and just a reference point to both you and Timo. When I was talking about leadership, I was trying to make this very human. I know we we talk about tech, we talk about strategies, we talk about it from a business and it sounds impersonal after a while. So I like to bring in the concept of a person, a leader like Bill Nicholson, somebody at the top who can help to lead at least that culture change. So thank you both for a good discussion. And now it's our little segment called What's in Your Cup Today? So we'll start with you, Andy Steer is our opening panelist and a couple questions. Number one, I know we called you. So where in the world is Andy Steer today? Number two, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? Timo's done this so many times, I think he's probably running out of drinks to tell me. And Andy, what's going on with iTelligence today and what do you do there? Talk to me, Andy. Okay, so today I am sitting in the iTelligence office in London and Despite what the weather's been like the last few days, where it's been really hot and sunny, today it's a little bit cloudy, but that's not so bad because I had a, a ride in and home on the train today. So that's why I'm in London. Um, normally, if I was at home, I would be drinking a particular blend of tea, which in the UK is known as Yorkshire tea, which is the, the proper English tea that you can get. So I'd have that with milk and, uh, and no sugar. But as I'm in our office today, I don't have the luxury of, of that. So I'm on the, uh, the very chilled and very non-sparkly water at the moment. And I'm, I'm, I'm itching to hear whether Timo's going to do another spin on champagne or whether he has <laughs> something else that he prefers as his, uh, his drink. Andy, tell, tell me what, what's going on with intelligence these days. I'm trying to remember who from your organization has been on, but I know from time to time you, you and your, your colleagues pop up on multiple shows a year. So, and somebody was on very recently. Forgive me. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, producing and hosting 17 different series right now. So after a while, they all blend. But <laughs> forgive me. What's my name? I, I have to check my notes, actually. So tell me, Andy, what, what are you doing at intelligence? Where, where's the company? What are you doing these days? Well, for those of us, for those of you who, are, who, who don't know, we're one of uh, we're one of SAP's largest partners globally, right? So we're a an SAP focused kind of system integrator type organisation, and here in the UK, I'm the, the CTO in the business. So my job, pretty much, is to spend time with uh, three different groups of people, and I luckily I enjoy spending time with those three groups. The the first one is uh, is our customers and other organisations who are looking to kind of get beyond the hype of some of the topics that we're talking about today. Uh, the second group are colleagues from intelligence. You know, there's about 6,500 of us globally. So mm-hmm. I spend time in various communities, both in the UK and globally, talking about the change and the impact that technology can bring to businesses. And then the third are our partners. Uh, I'm often at the front end of understanding where new technologies are going and trying to translate that into the kind of impact that our customers are looking for. So I, I spend my time doing that. It's good. I've been here for a, a fair few years now, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a very enjoyable job, and I get to do things like this as well, which are always, always good. Well, you're very sweet. And by the way, Yorkshire tea, I found pictures of a box of Yorkshire tea. It says here it's a black tea blend produced by the Bettys and Taylor Group, second most popular tea brand in the U.K., introduced in 1886 by Charles Edward Taylor. Is that the one? Yeah, that's, that's 
the one. And I was the final thing I was going to say to you was, in a rather cyclical note, if I was sitting in my home office today, I would have been probably five miles away from Reading Jail that you mentioned earlier on yes. when you were talking about Oscar Wilde. Yes. Very interesting. And by the way, somebody just wrote here on Twitter a, a couple of hours ago, we've just spent a ludicrous amount of time painstakingly lining up a very, very, very large number of biscuits to go with their Yorkshire tea. I thought that was that was very interesting. We have to do a show on biscuits. Thank you, Andy Steer. And Timo Elliott, where in the world are you today? What have you been up to and what are you drinking? I am currently in a suburban basement in the outskirts of Vancouver. It is a beautiful sunny day here. And um, as for what I'm drinking, well, of course, you might have heard of this little sporting event that happened over the last few weeks called the uh, the World Cup. I did. And so I have here a trophy full of French champagne, of course, in um to celebrate the victory. I, I, I'm English, but I've lived in Paris for the last 20 years, so it was wonderful to see France win the World Cup on Sunday, and we're, we're still getting through the champagne, of course. Of course. I understand that's the first time in 20 years they've claimed the, the honors. Is that correct? That's right, and um, I remember celebrating the victory in 98, uh, too. Oh, that's not possible. You're way too young for that. Come on, Timo. Seriously. If you were drinking Victory Champagne, what would you be drinking on a normal work day? Just curious. Oh, huge mugs of coffee, basically. Okay, good to know. And thank you very much both. And uh, Timo, I don't know if you know, I relocated 10 months ago to Durham, North Carolina. So I left mm. New York. And uh, yeah, quite quite a talk about a sea change and a culture shift. Oh my! But now instead of being in an apartment on a main drag on a town, very busy upscale town on Long Island, I'm looking out at my front garden, and I bought a spinner that's sitting out there on its uh, on a metal pole is about three feet tall, and it has two rows of these beautiful jeweled metal discs, and they sparkle in the sun, and the the array of discs go, one goes to the right and one goes to the left, and they spin concurrently. Very pretty. So I'm looking at a garden at a quiet street in a blue sky dotted with light white clouds, which is sounding a little waxing poetic. However, Timo, some things never change. Despite plus I change, plus LMM shows, I am still drinking my cool mug of water. I changed the water, though, don't worry. Cool, clear mug of cool, clear water because they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, and Timo knows why, and Andy probably figured it out. So to our global listeners around the world, I know that's rhetorical. We're talking about so you want to be an intelligent enterprise, fact versus myth, path versus pitfalls. We're going to continue the conversation after a very brief break. My special guests, very special guests, they are very intelligent and they're very enterprising. So I think they've fulfilled the definition of the show title today, Andy Steer at Intelligence and Timo Elliott at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I finally figured that one out and we'll be right back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Please, 90 seconds. Aaron, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. An unprecedented pace of change driven by exciting technology advances like the Internet of Things is disrupting your industry and every other industry around the globe. 
Your future business success will be influenced by your ability to understand and harness these innovations and many more. Mobile devices instantaneously connecting the world populations, robotics, 3D printing, and self-driving cars. The sharing economy and ubiquitous global business networks. Reality Check. The future is happening right now. Join us for insights from industry experts on what it all means for your business and your daily life. The Future of the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to The Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of the future with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. When I finish my sentence... The future already happened and now it's in the past. What can I tell you? It's just moving along. We're speaking today about, so you want to be an intelligent enterprise. I don't know if you go to your people in your company and you say, gee, we really need to aspire to be an intelligent enterprise. And they look at you if you're a leader with great curiosity and perhaps a little insulted and say, I thought we were. So uh, we're, we're tooling around with what is going on with the concept of intelligent enterprise. My two very special guests are Andy Steer at Intelligence and Timo Elliott at SAP. We've had quite a conversation leading up to the break, and now we're officially in the roundtable segment. So let's see what Andy Steer told me before the show. Following, quote, The intelligent enterprise is perhaps an overly simplistic description for an organization seeking to take advantage of modern technologies and working practices in order to create an environment where they can consistently deliver innovative products and services that delight their customers. Andy, that statement was so packed with key words, my head is spinning. So why don't you dissect it for us and tell us why is it overly simplistic, and then we'll get Timo to chime in. Go ahead, Andy. Well, so the reason I say it's overly simplistic is this is a this is a big problem, right? So it's it's often you know I think we're all to a degree guilty of trying to provide simple answers to often big complex problems. So now what we're talking about here, in essence, is organisations and the products and services that they offer uh, using more intelligence in the way in which those services are created and provided, and most importantly, iterated over time. And the way that we can most easily relate to that is through the application of technologies, right? So simple things like it used to be in the morning to get the train ticket. You had to go to the train station, stand in front of the machine and get the ticket out. Now, maybe you can do it on the smartphone before you leave the house in the morning. Mm -hmm. So that's an easy way of thinking about an application of technology that has made it easier for you to do something. And, And therefore your interaction with that organization is is higher and you could say that perhaps that makes them a more intelligent enterprise. But I think that would be an oversimplification. To me, the intelligent enterprise is really what the organization is doing as a result of that interaction. 
So maybe now they have a better idea of what type of tickets people buy and when in the morning, and perhaps they can use that to improve the services and improve the things that they offer to me as a consumer. So I think if we're going to take that kind of approach, what that means is that it's not just about applying new technology. It's about changing the way in which organizations deliver services, and that means changes to the way that they work themselves internally, right? So that means they have to try and think about different ways of working, different practices, and perhaps for a lot of organizations, that means they need to perhaps have a higher level of creativity uh, and agile thinking than they typically had before. One of the things that we often see is the drive to being more data-driven data in organizations. And what often happens is that the level of data literacy in the employees isn't high enough to take advantage of the data that's being collected. So I think, yes, technology, but absolutely more importantly, the changing processes and the benefits that the technology can deliver inside the organization. So, so that's why I say that sometimes just saying shorthand intelligent enterprise and get linked with technology and shiny new technology. And to me, I think Timo mentioned it earlier, I mentioned it, I think that's missing the key point, which is really it's about evolving services and products and the way in which the organization works internally. And that really requires a lot of effort from people, not just from technology. Thank you, Andy. Timo, love to get your thoughts. Agree or disagree with that big statement that I quoted from Andy just a moment ago and his explanation. Timo? Hi, so I completely agree. The intelligent enterprise, what's key for me about the concept is that it's about learning from experience and doing so in a more automated way that's ever been possible before. So as Andy mentioned, by gathering data about your interactions with customers, you can learn how to work better with customers and improve that service. You then end up gathering more data that you can use to improve your service even further. So you can get this self-fulfilling prophecy of gathering information, learning from it, improving your products and services, and becoming a better organization. So it's that cycle for me that makes a company intelligent. It's the having processes in place to learn from your experience, learn from your mistakes, as we had in the opening quote, but using the latest technologies like machine learning to do that in a more automated way than ever before. Um, so there's a technology side, and of course, and as, as Andy mentioned, you also have to change your own organization faced with this new data. So it's about change management as well. Thank you, Timo. Andy, I'm going to look at some notes from Timo so we can keep bouncing back and forth and, and getting the most out of all of the wonderful statements both of you sent me before the show. So, Timo, let's talk about data. You say organizations have always struggled to get the full value of the data they have stored, but that value gap has exploded with the advent of new technologies like IoT, Internet of Things, and big data. We've reached a tipping point where the abundance of data, better algorithms, and increased computing power mean we can rethink large parts of the business. You mentioned automating, but are companies grappling with grasping the concept of big data, what they're supposed to do with it? 
So big data has been a nebulous term that's been around with us for a while. It really just indicates that we have more information than ever before and of different types, like unstructured information like text and video and pictures. Companies have been stockpiling this information for uh, decades now, knowing that it has value, but they've really struggled to get the full benefit of that value. We all know that information is the new oil, is a new a new source mm-hmm. of uh, revenue, of wealth, but turning it into actual business has been a constant struggle. What changed is that there's been a change in technology and now machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, predictive analytics, there's various terms. All of these technologies hold out the possibility of turning that data more automatically into improved business than ever before. So, for example, inside financial organizations, there's a financial department, there's often a lot of processes that involve a lot of manual work with people looking at data, trying to correlate invoices with bank payments, and the people doing that job are essentially doing complex pattern matching. Uh, mm-hmm. based on the data they see at that moment, then they make a decision about which invoices match with which uh, bank payments, for example. Using machine learning, we can now start doing that same process uh, instead of the people. So we can automate things that just weren't easily automatable before if we have enough data. Most companies do have the data in place. Now, by adding the machine learning and the, uh, the analytics, we can start automating it. And that holds out the promise of having every internal process, every product, every service automatically getting better over time as people use the service. Thank you very much. Andy, comments on what Timo just shared? Yeah, I think I think the, the mention of automation and the, the maturity, if you like, and also the accessibility of techniques like machine learning are, are clearly having a, a very large impact here. And, and for me, it's very interesting to see the switch that I'm seeing in the conversations that I'm having with, with customers. What people want to talk about a lot more now is intelligent processes. So as Timo talked about there, historically, we would have business processes inside organizations like the accounts receivables uh, that we were just talking about. Uh, It's about how do we embed intelligence into those processes and then how do we automate that? And I think that is, as Kimo said, that's the big breakthrough that we're starting to see now more and more. And, and, you know, that frees up people to get on with other activities within the organization, which are often of of higher value and, and more creative to the organization. Thank you, Andy. And now I'm going to move to something. We keep talking about the people in the organization. Let's actually look at the people here for a moment. I'm looking at Andy's notes, and he says, it is also wise to consider the intelligent enterprise not just through the lens of technology. The typical enterprise workforce today is changing. Millennials, they're not just entering, they're here. They're bringing different perspectives. I'm always shocked to know that millennials are now in their mid-30s, seriously. Uh, Entering the workforce, they're here, bringing different perspectives and approaches to work. It is easy to repeat the cliche about digital nativism. And then you say, this in turn has driven a shift in the relationship between employer and employee. Andy, love to know more about this shift in how people are working together 
for the benefit, the shared goals of an intelligent enterprise? Okay, so I think there's, there's, there's two ways in which I personally experience this, Bonnie, particularly you know, in organizations that I visit, but also, honestly, within the organization I work in as well. So within our intelligence, we get hit by this. So what we see is really a, a real change in expectation from younger people entering the workforce, right? They have a different expectation about the way that uh, systems can and should be used inside the organizations that they work for. Now, historically, that may have been something that was just an opinion, right? So I remember when mm-hmm. I started work, I looked at particular systems that were used and I thought, oh, that's not very good. I don't really like that. But what we're seeing more and more now is actually because these younger people who are coming in, they're so digital native that they actually will make decisions about where they work based on the level of maturity and modernity in the systems that they will have to work with. So whereas before it may have been an inconvenience to use a system you didn't like, we actually see people coming for interview now who are clearly telling us their expectations of the type of technological environment they want to work in. And if it doesn't match, they're not interested. So I think that's having a big a big impact. Then the second thing that I would note on that is, is once those people are inside the organization, their energy and their ability to look beyond the traditional ways that things have been done can be hugely powerful if leveraged correctly. Now, of course, as always, thinking back to Timo's quote, these things need to be balanced with experience, but some of the energy and some of the creative thinking that's come into our workplace through the millennials that we've hired Mm -hmm. have been really crucial in driving some of our transformations as well. So I think, you know, the two things, the demands that those people bring in and what they expect in the organization but then their energy and insight, when you put them in a correctly balanced team, help drive the innovation and drive those, uh, those new solutions and uh, new products that we were talking about. Those two things are, can be a, a real strong combination. Thank you, Andy. Great insights on the people side. Timo, love to get your thoughts about, you know, how many generations we have working side by side. And I think that we're going to squeeze in a sixth one soon if it hasn't already happened with the Gen Zers. So, Timo, what are your thoughts about this shift in the relationship between employer and employee in the intelligent enterprise? I think in many cases, the the easiest thing to do for today's organizations is paint the future. Um We've been working with lots of customers very successfully doing things like design thinking workshops where we imagine what the future of their business and their customer experience will look like. And generally, the millennials certainly are better at understanding what that future can look like because they're digital native. But it's not that hard to get everybody on the same page of what the future could or should look like. The hard part, of course, is actually figuring out how to get there. Um, so the management of where your organization is now to that shiny future, that's the, the, the very difficult part. And that's an area where I think that the, the millennials aren't as 
well positioned because they just they don't have that experience of having to, having to try to change things in the past. So they're very useful for the vision. But thank heavens, there's the rest of us who can help us actually have move from one point to another. And there, there's also worth pointing out that you can move too fast. Um, history is lit- littered with organizations that tried to move to the next generation of products, services, and experiences too quickly. They had a vision of where they thought the market would go, but the technology didn't quite provide that experience yet. Things like the Apple Newton, for example, came out a good 20 years ago. I personally have been working with these latest technologies like predictive analytics and machine learning for many, Mm -hmm. many years, but they just weren't ready to be deployed for most organizations in most industries. Now we have the right data and everybody's ready to get the most out of those technologies. So... Yes, it's absolutely about uh, following the vision. The millennials can help. But the hardest part, as ever, is how we get there and the change management uh, the path from A to B. Thank you, Timo. You know, I'm looking at the clock here. We have about eight minutes, well, maybe ten minutes, because there are two of you rather than our typical panel of three for our predictions. I promised in my opening to our audience that we would talk about facts versus myths. I think we've been covering a lot of facts about becoming an intelligent enterprise. Paths, I think we've covered that. But pitfalls, let's do that. Timo, can I start with you? Any pitfall advice, strategies to avoid the bumps along the road for a company that is saying, yes, we're listening, we want to become an intelligent enterprise, but dang, we don't have time to go over a lot of bumpy roads and look for detours. What can Timo and Andy offer us? So thoughts, please? Timo, let's start with you. Uh, Sure. So these new technologies hold out lots of possibilities. You can do more with less. You can improve your customer experiences, rethink business models. But as ever, the biggest pitfall is undoubtedly uh, people. So the essential thing is to put people first. In our industry, we have a, a lot of things called POCs, which stand for proof of concept. But while you're working on the technology proof of concept, you have to spend at least as much time on a different type of POC, and that would be processes, organization, and culture. Unless you proactively work on those three things, anything you do on the technology side is just going to be wasted or ignored. You have to make sure that every person in the organization sees how this is going to benefit not just the company as a whole, but them personally. You want people to be incented to, for the, these changes to succeed, not actively resist them. And unfortunately, time and time again in organizations large and small, I see well-meaning technology organizations doing a technology rollout while completely mis- disregarding all of the the internal political aspects of that rollout and the the effects that's going to have on individuals and their role today and their their employee experience. Uh, They're just treating it like a technical rollout. Everything's going to go fine. Well, we'll deal with you later, forgetting that that person might well be in a position to wreck the rollout of the initial part of the solution. Mm, Thank you very much. Andy, your thoughts on pitfalls, anything to avoid? Eyes wide open. So I, I build on I build on Timo's comment and say that it's it, in my mind if you don't have a key business outcome in mind for the initiative that you're thinking of taking on then don't start and you know a key business outcome as Timo was saying is not the proof of a technology so 
my my thing to avoid would be anything that's purely technology led. So shiny things, being a magpie and just going after shiny technology is is not a winning strategy at all. So you know the the, the famous ones that people always talk about, you know, the Uber for example. You know, Uber mm-hmm. wasn't about. Um, you know, anything other than trying to satisfy people who needed to be able to book a taxi in a different way. It wasn't about building an app. It was about satisfying a user need and a user requirement. And so often, I see that getting completely lost when I talk to customers. They, you know, they will start by presenting to me a technology solution. This is what we want to do. When actually, that isn't what they want to do. That might be the means to an end. What they may want to do is increase their customer retention or learn more about the products that their customers are using. And I think that would be the, the main thing that I would say. Uh, you know, focus away from technology, focus on the business need, and try not to boil the ocean. Try and do small, incremental things that deliver mm-hmm. business value. Thank you. Great Great uh, tips on avoiding the pitfalls. I want to sneak in one more topic here before we go to our predictions round. Timo, I'm looking at your notes here. And as we talk about machine learning and artificial intelligence, we all know workers, I don't know which demographic cohort, maybe it's mine, the boomers, but I don't know. I'm not going anywhere anytime fast. I'm not going home. Um, The question is, are machines replacing humans? And that's a big threat. A lot of people just say, oh, my God, robots are coming. The robots are coming. Will I have a job? Well, here's something that Timo says I think is interesting advice. He said the biggest barriers as ever in automating worker, in automating the tasks are repetitive and freeing us up for better things. The automated biggest barriers are process, organization, and culture. And Timo says it's about augmented intelligence rather than replacing humans as Kasparov, and I assume you're talking about Gary Kasparov, the Russian chess master, correct, Timo? That's right. Okay, as Gary Kasparov said about chess, quote, humans are smart, algorithms are powerful. Humans plus algorithms are unbeatable. Love that. Timo, talk to me. How big a threat is the quote-unquote intelligent enterprise if you sat down a 1,000 employees in an auditorium or you got them on a video and you were the CFO, CMO, CEO, we're all talking to them and say, we're going to go on a path to be an intelligent enterprise. We're bringing in all kinds of automation and technology and it's going to be great. And people are going home and saying, dang, do I even have a job in six months? How do you convey that idea of augmented intelligence to not scare people, Timo? So uh, automation of uh, work that is considered white-collar work is absolutely one of the biggest opportunities, and reasonably enough that you could, if you have a white-collar job, you can think that that's a threat. But the reality of what's happening on the ground tends to show that we're seeing that these new technologies are augmenting uh, people's jobs. The part that you can really use machine learning for today is repetitive, boring decisions. There's the sort of things that people dislike doing today. And in conversations I've had with organizations around the world, almost always that part of somebody's job is something that they're happy to get rid of. So they have more time to spend on the strategic part. Finance is a great example. A lot of people end up doing a lot of manual work, just moving data around, trying to figure out what's going on. If the machine can do that for you, 
that's wonderful. You can move on and move to the next level of strategy. The uh, analogy I like to use is uh, remember when you were learning uh, mathematics at school and for a couple of years they made you do arithmetic. You just had to do endless divisions and multiplications by hand until you understood the concept. Once you'd understood the concept, you were allowed to use an electronic calculator. It got rid of all of that mm-hmm. boring work, but it certainly didn't stop you from uh, doing mathematics. It just meant that you could take it to a whole new level because you weren't weighed down with all of the, the manual process of, of actually crunching through the numbers. That's what we're seeing uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence doing inside organizations. It's also worth pointing out that while it eliminates jobs, it also allows people to take jobs that they weren't previously qualified for. Again, the analogy I like to use there is, you know, think uh, way back when I had a, a general store and the staff that I employed, I would have to employ somebody who could do Uh, mental arithmetic. As somebody bought lots of goods, somebody would have to be adding it up in their head to figure out how much to charge. Later on, they introduced the the tills that would count all the numbers for you. Now I can employ people for their customer service, not for their mental arithmetic. So it's allowed people that that didn't have the math skills to be able to do a job that they previously weren't qualified for. Now, those types of jobs are much harder for us to imagine. It's very easier Mm -hmm. for us to see the jobs that will be uh, displaced, but not the new work that will result from these new opportunities. The bottom line is work is going to be displaced rather than replaced. Thank you. Very insightful. And now we're officially in our crystal ball predictions round. I think you just gave us your prediction, but I'll give you 60 seconds more at the end, Timo. Andy Steer, it's your turn. What do you see coming up or down the pike, whatever direction you're looking in terms of the intelligent enterprise? What's the parting thought you want companies around the world to know from your lips to their ears? What will the future bring? Let's look at between 2020 and 2025, if you're pleased with that time frame. Andy, talk to me. Six, I'll give you 90 seconds. Go ahead. Okay, so I think that a lot of the technologies that we've kind of talked about a little bit, um, you know, the, the large volumes of data, the predictive analytics, the machine learning, all of these things are really driving towards, in my mind, one thing, and that's what I tend to refer to, and a few other people do, is hyper-personalization. Right? Mm-hmm. So the, the point here is, the more you know about the people who use your products, how they use your products, what they do, the more personalized you can make that service. So in my mind, you know, if we're looking for one clear trend that we're going to see of how all of these technologies will impact on individuals, I think this idea of hyper-personalization will be it. So every service and every product that you take, you know, for yourself, Bonnie, could absolutely be personalized specifically for you based on your previous use of those items. And in order to deliver that hyper-personalization, you have to have an intelligent enterprise behind those products. They have to be able to take account of all the data that's generated, all of the patterns, all of the things that you do, all of the signs that you give, and use that to drive better things for you. And those better things will be things that are more personal to you. So I think that's what we're going to start to see. And we already see the tips of it in things like the recommendations list in Amazon, etc., etc. But we can all think of scenarios 
with those recommendations, they just flag up wrong. They're not quite right. But if you take that and you refine it, but you take it into the products that you use, so the product improves to better match your needs over time, then that's where I think we'll see this hyper-personalization coming to us. So that would be, that would be my, my thing, products becoming really, really tailored and focused for the individual who's consuming them and learning about that individual over time. Thank you very much. That was quite a prediction. Timo Elliott, I did save 60 seconds for you. That's about all we have. So you know what? I'm looking at the clock. You can have 90. Go ahead, Timo. What's your thought on the future of the future of the intelligent enterprise? It's the self-optimizing future. Every internal business process, product, and service will automatically get better over time as people use it. For example, we've been working with the city of Nanjing taking information about uh, their traffic flows. They have sensors all over the place. They track the flows of traffic, and then they put all that into a gigantic machine learning model and then change things like the bus routes, the timing of the lights, in order to optimize traffic at each moment. But it does so increasingly automatically based on whether there's a football game, whether it's raining or sunny or there's the school holidays. But just over time, it's using that information coming in to progressively, incrementally improve traffic flow over time and doing so in an automated way. And that just hasn't been possible before. We're going to see it in every aspect of modern business. Thank you. You know, I'm, I'm getting ready to post my thank you tweet to the two of you, Andy Steer at Intelligence and Timo Elliott at SAP. And I'm saying the following. Thank you to both of you for insightful, intelligent discussion about the intelligent enterprise, because that's what it has been. Andy, I hope you enjoyed your time with me and Timo. We certainly appreciate your taking the time across the pond out from your Yorkshire tea to join us. Was this good for you? I don't usually ask on the air, but I really want to know. Andy, you all good? Yeah, I'm good. It was a pleasure. Thanks very much for inviting me, Bonnie. Oh, we're we're delighted. And Timo, I know you're coming back. What later this week? You're going to be on another show with me. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Oh, my goodness. I have to do a quick shout out. I have another minute here to our listeners around the world. You, you have shocked and amazed and thrilled us. We had almost 100,000 listens slash views of Game Changers Radio in the month of June 2018. Shock and amazement. We don't advertise these. It's all word of mouth. And we're just so delighted that we are reaching so many business people, wannabe business people around the world with the Game Changers format, the concept bringing you really smart people like Andy Steer and Timo Elliott in a conversation rather than a prepared speech or presentation. So I just want to say thank you and send some love back to our listeners. We really appreciate it. So uh, I'll be back in another hour with a new episode of Financial Excellence with Game Changers. By the way, we are live today. It is Tuesday, July 17th. Seriously, 2018, where is the year going? I don't know. Shout out to Brad Borkin, the sponsor of the Future of the Future with Game Changers. And he works with Susan Walker. And thank you for a great show today. Shout out to Aaron and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Andy Steer, just like Timo Elliott, and maybe just like me. I'll be back in another hour. We're talking about tax, the new MVP of finance. You don't want to miss that one right here on the Business Channel, 12 noon Eastern. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. 
The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.